We're going to read Matthew 13, 1 through 9, and, um, and if you want to look up on the screen, you can, if you want to just follow along in your Bible. Um, here, Jesus is teaching to a very large group of people from a boat, um, and, uh, and actually, we're going to start, sorry, in verse 3, um, and about halfway through verse 3, where the actual parable itself begins. This is Jesus teaching a very large group that's been following him. He's on a boat out in water and uh, teaching to this huge crowd so that he can have a little bit of space from them and his voice can kind of carry across the waters. And he's telling them this parable, and here's how it goes. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering his seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They, and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So last week we began this by looking at the hard soil, which is like a path. Uh, it's soil that's been so compacted that it's basically just the path that people walk on. That's why it's so hard. Um, along the field and through the middle of the field, and some seed is eventually going to get onto that path. And what we talked about was how that speaks of a hard heart, a heart that isn't really receptive to the seed. And the seed represents the gospel, um, which is the good news of Jesus and salvation through him, but it also represents the word of God, really, that comes to us at any time, which is why Jesus refers to it that way, the word. Um, later on when he explains what this parable means. This week, we look at uh, the second soil, which is one that he refers to as the rocky soil. And um, this is a very easy parable when you read it, whether it's for the first time or if you've read it before. It's a very easy parable to read and immediately presume, of course, I'm the good soil that he's talking about. Um, it's just really easy to do that. And one of the things that has really been is so powerful as I've spent just the last few weeks in this more closely is how much I've been able to see how this doesn't really just relate to the moment of a person's conversion, the way a person might respond to the gospel initially in becoming a Christian or rejecting the gospel and walking away from Jesus, but how it actually also speaks to um, things that I myself have found to be present in my own life. These states that my own heart has been in at different times in my walk with Jesus, um, when there aren't, when I'm just, that's something I've experienced. And so I, as, I've, as I've read this and I've seen that, it's made me realize how relevant it is, not really to all of us at all times in the faith, to look at and say, what does it look like for our hearts, our own hearts, to be a good soil? And what does it look like for it to be these other things? Uh, the two verses that we're going to look at this morning, jump, we jump all the way ahead to verse 20 and 21, where Jesus explains to his disciples, I said last week, I, I obviously picked the easiest parable because this is the one he explains. I didn't want to do too much work. We're getting back into the new year, and I want to ease myself into it. So verse 20 and 21 say this, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But... Since they have no roots, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The first part of this that we look at is here, where Jesus talks about um, how this soil 
actually receives, he says, the seed. Because that's the first thing that we see that starts to describe to us what this soil looks like, what it does, and why it's so important and something we have to understand. Um, There's a key to the words that Jesus is using here. And the two most important ones are really this word receive and the word with joy. Uh, Receive and joy. Um, When you look at these words and what they mean, they're essentially the exact words that are used. He's basically describing a situation in which a person would receive a gift. So uh, for someone to receive something with joy, um, he's talking about the way that you feel when you get something that you really wanted and how happy you feel. You are quick to take that thing, right? We all know what it's like to get socks for Christmas, And if you're one of the few people who doesn't really love socks, then you know what it's like to get something and just kind of get it, you know? But we also know what it's like to get something and receive it with tremendous joy. How different that experience is and how quickly we take it and we receive it. Um, I I realized over these last few months talking with uh, my children, I'm officially old, it's happened, And one of the ways I know it's happened is because as they start to talk to me about their world and their life, I realize this just sounds insane to me. And one of the ways this happened was about a few months ago, my son started talking to me about how much he desperately wanted a pair of Crocs. Now, if you know what Crocs are, raise your hand if you know what Crocs are. Okay, yeah, I better get some young people's hands up here. Okay, so, and I'm like, Crocs, those things from like 15 years ago that we all wore in the garden? And he's like, what are you talking about, Dad? They're new. They're this new thing that everybody cares about and everybody wants. And he starts describing to me how the fad that is Crocs, the, the in, like injection mold foam shoes that must only cost a nickel to make, um, are back and they're more expensive than ever, they've got more options than ever, and he, then, and he told me that all of his friends have them. And I'm like, buddy, we live in the Pacific Northwest. Like, it's wet all the time. They're literally shoes with holes in them. This, this can't be possible. He's like, oh, it's possible, it's happening, and I must have some. And, and then I find out that, uh, that it goes, because of course, things always, we always add more over time, right? Uh, these Crocs have, they, they have, they have uh, you can buy like, oh, what's the word for it? I'm going to get the word, charms. Thank you guys. Thank you for being there for me. You can buy Croc charms to put in the holes of the Crocs that decorate the Crocs, right? Um, my friend got his daughter some green Crocs with some Shrek ears. And oh, she was pumped, right? They went on there. So uh, I find out about this and I'm like, okay okay, well, you're plugging the holes. I guess that's a good thing. But day after day would go by, and my son would faithfully tell me about who got a pair of Crocs now. Who got a pair of Crocs now? And sure enough, I started to notice them everywhere. Um, I was talking to one of the missionaries that we support, uh, Justin and Veronica in Mexico. I was mentioning this to them, because why wouldn't I? And he mentioned to me that, you know, when you live in Mexico, you kind of are used to all the things that America is done with. They kind of send to Goodwill or something, and then people in Mexico will often buy those things. So you'll be working construction with a guy in like a Celine Dion t-shirt, right? Like a concert shirt. And he doesn't care, right? Or you'll know, he said, everybody wears Crocs around here. He's like, and I think they just kind of got shipped out somewhere after the fad was over 15 years ago and they never decompose, it seems. Although they do shrink in the sun and in the heat. I've learned that. Um, And he's like, so are we sitting on a gold mine? And I'm like, yeah, you are, man. You're sitting on a gold mine. You need to gather these things up and sell them back to us. And the joke would then be on us, right? 
to say all the dirt is and everything is like charms or whatever, right? And so, so, we're, we're, uh, so my son desperately asked for Crocs, and I'm like, buddy, I cannot make it any clearer to you. There's no way that we're getting those because that just sounds like the most ridiculous thing in the world to me. Absolutely ridiculous. Why on earth would this happen? Why on earth would anyone spend this kind of money on these things that will do you no good and get your feet wet all the time? Well, we go down to see family after Christmas, and, um, and as we're going down, I'm getting reports of all the people that have gotten Crocs. I'm finding out that people that live in different parts of America that I know are getting Crocs, and I'm like, this is happening everywhere. What is going on? I thought it was just where we were, where Crocs are in no way convenient. And then we get down to be with family for a couple days, and, um, and we tell one of the aunts that, that, that grandma had bought Tegan some Crocs, and he was going to get them in a few days. And so then the aunt decided, well, then I I'm going to really make him want some. So every opportunity she got, she was like, I can't believe you don't have Crocs. Man, it must be so hard to be you. And he was getting pretty bummed out about it, right? And then finally, the moment she's like, hey, everybody, remember to get your Crocs. We're going out. Oh, Tegan doesn't have any, you know, that kind of a thing. It was pretty sad, right? Yeah. So eventually, the moment came on Christmas when he opened the Crocs. And it was such a wonderful thing, and we did video it, and I will not show you because I am going to keep some things just for him, but I will tell you that it was like the most ridiculous reaction ever. I couldn't believe it. And I remember saying, like, what kind of a world do we live in? I couldn't even get that out. And he was like, a wonderful world, a perfect world, an amazing world, as he opened up his bright red Crocs, right? Uh, we didn't get any charms, but my friend did make some on a 3D printer, and they were the head of, you know, the, the actor The Rock? Have you ever heard of him? They were just his head. And so we got some rock, rocks for his Crocs, basically. Um, that's all he's got right now. Uh, watching him open this present is something that many of you know because you've seen and you've experienced yourself, but like the absolute joy and elation over getting something that you want and that you need so much, maybe you don't need, but that you want so badly and how quickly you will receive that thing. There are different ways that we take things in. And what's key about this soil in this passage that Jesus is talking about in this parable is he's saying this one is the most excited to immediately receive and respond to the word of God. There's something about it that evokes this like emotional reaction in them, and they're like, this changes everything. This is a person who, for whatever reason, responds so enthusiastically and instantly, their response is evident to people around them. You would be watching this person and you would go, man, God has got a hold of them. They have something and it's different and it's changed them in a huge way. It says they have, Jesus says they have it, they have found it and, they, and he says at once, he says at once they receive it with joy implying that it's like this immediate change, this immediate thing that happens in their life. Now, uh, you see, the truth is that this is actually incredibly familiar to us when it comes to the Word of God, because we kind of see the Word of God that way most of the time, especially in the country in which we live. The idea is, in fact, if I was going to present the gospel, share the Word of God with a person, whether it was the gospel or something else, I would kind of want to do it in a way that was like, Here's something that you need, right? Here's something that will make your life better. Your life is less without this thing. You don't want to miss out on this thing. In fact, I once asked a, a person in an evangelism sort of a training, I said, is there any other way to talk to someone about 
the good news of Jesus or about the word of God other than I see that you have like a hole in your life, this thing will fill that hole. Because what do I do with the friends and the people in my life who don't seem to have a lot of holes, who don't seem to have uh, areas that are, that are a mess or falling apart or some kind of a thing that's so clearly broken that this can just easily put a band-aid right over the top of it. This is so uh, not, uh, this is so usual, this is so normal, this is so typical to us. And unfortunately, this can happen to an extreme where we only know of the gospel and the word of God as a solution to our problems, right? As a gift that if I receive it and take it in, it will make my life completely different. The truth is, for many of us, we experience that exact thing. I know for me, when I heard the gospel, when I became a Christian, I was a high schooler. And so many things about my life changed in such a dramatic way that anyone looking at it closely who knew me from before would say, he received this thing immediately with joy and look at the results and how quick they are. My grade point average before I became a Christian was a .75. Don't ask me how that happens, but it happens. I had a 3.0 a semester later. That probably speaks more to the difficulty of getting a .75 GPA when you have parents and teachers and all kinds of people hounding you to try and do just about anything, and how it isn't actually rocket science to maybe get a 3.0, but there was something about what God did to me in that time that actually made me, for the first time in my life, care. I just cared. I just cared. And that changed incredibly rapidly. I went from my parents picking me up at a police station to my parents picking me up at youth group, which they certainly thought was better, even though it was a little unusual. <laughs> I found community almost instantly in a group of people who were kind, who were generous, who were intelligent. I had a purpose for the first time in my entire life. The word of God made my life objectively better than it was before. And people noticed this. The word of God is truth. It brings freedom from bondage. It gives us light in the darkness. It brings joy, hope, peace, love, all the things that we just spend the month of December talking about every year. It does indeed bring these things and do these things. And so this is not uncommon to see this kind of a result. And many of us have lived this out ourselves. And he describes this type of soil, the rocky soil, as starting out to receive the seed in this way. Now, this isn't how everyone responds, of course. Some respond very slowly to the truth of God. They respond over time because it takes them time to respond. Some doubt and struggle and question and wonder for a long time before ever actually receiving and responding to that word. Some will even simply choose to follow out of obedience because they know it's the right thing to do, even though it doesn't really seem to make things better for them right away. I once had a friend that I was meeting with week after week. His wife had become a Christian, and she had, he had begun attending church with her and their kids, and he recognized that there was truth in all of this. He saw something in this that he knew was absolutely unique and was important. But uh, it was a very slow process for him. And he had a lot of questions, and he had a lot of doubts, and he actually was not really sure, like, when he, like, if he believed enough to, like, call himself a Christian, to, to, to say that I'm now in this place, whereas I was in that place. And I remember talking with him one day about how what the disciples did was very clear. They followed Jesus physically, 
And that, and that ultimately, discipleship and following him comes down to us oftentimes choosing. I'm going to just start following Jesus, even if I don't know how strong my faith is. Because it's not a test that I have to pass in order to get in. It's more a question of, will I just begin to walk with him? Jesus is talking to people who are miraculously being healed They are finding hope and despair. They are finding someone seeing them for the first time, whereas they're used to being invisible in the world to everyone else. There is no question that these people's lives are being radically changed in very uh, very short amounts of time. And the response they have is an incredibly emotional one. There doesn't seem to be anything bad about this, right? Who wouldn't want to be like this? Well, the, the complication, the issue comes... A little bit later in this next verse, Jesus says this, but since they have no roots, they last only a short time. The way that they grow, the thing that is produced as they grow ends up being the problem. And the reason for that is because of the soil itself. This is where it's important to understand what rocky soil is, what he means by that. When I first heard this, my thought was that, um, uh, that Jesus was talking about a soil that was just a bunch of dirt filled with a bunch of rocks. And somehow that probably doesn't sound ideal, so it probably doesn't grow very well. I don't understand exactly why, but sure, okay, fine, whatever you say. What he's actually talking about is that in the area of Palestine that he's speaking, it was incredibly common for a lot of the ground to be made of this, like, of rock, of limestone. And what would happen is, uh, like, the ground was just rock, you know, and a solid rock. And what would happen is over time, dust and, and debris and stuff and dirt would kind of blow around and gather up on top of this rock, so you would have what appeared to be soil. But in a lot of areas, that soil only went down so far. It only went down about an inch deep in most places, and and, uh, and then you would hit bedrock. And so what he's talking about is that. He's saying that if, if a sower is sowing seed, throwing it in a field, if they throw it to the, to the soil that it's intended to go in, that, that is deep and that is prepared, then we know that it's going to grow one way. But if they throw it in the other soil that they haven't prepared, it may not look very different. And what's crazy is it actually seems to grow pretty well in the shallow dirt. What happens is that the, the bedrock itself, uh, it stays warm. If you know anything about how rock works, is that over the day, the sun would heat the rock, even beneath the surface of the dirt, and it would get nice and hot. And then as the, as the evening and the night come, and it gets very cool, then that, that rock stays warm for longer than if it was all just dirt. And so it actually keeps that little inch warmer more consistently than um, the normal conditions. So while all the other soil is getting warm and cooling down and getting warm and cooling down, this, uh, this shallow soil is actually staying warm longer. And if you know anything about how seeds are germinated, um, and for whatever reason I'm fascinated by this and have been for a while, uh, and I know way too much about it, then you know that what has to happen is the seed needs to kind of, uh, it needs moisture, it needs water, but it also needs a temperature, right? You have to keep it at a certain consistent temperature. And if all of you who are pros out here know exactly what I'm talking about, you got your heating mats, you got your greenhouses, you've got whatever you need to keep it at the right temperature so that that seed actually germinates and it starts to grow. Well, this shallow soil was perfect for that. And so what happened was when the seed got cast out, the first signs that you saw coming through the surface, the first plants that grew, the ones that grew the most quickly were the ones in the shallow soil because it was ideal for a seed to germinate and begin to start producing life. This growth is immediate. 
It is dramatic. But Jesus tells us that it's limited. Why? Because the seed can only go down so far before it hits the rock. And what that does is it takes away from it the ability to develop something very important in the life of a seed and a plant, which is this thing called roots. Turns out plants need roots if they're going to do well over any extended period of time. Uh, in fact, uh, when a seed starts out, you'll notice if you see it like this, that there's just as much energy going into the root system as there, in, as there is in going into the plant above the surface. And so if it hits something like the rock, then the roots can't be produced. We still will see growth on the top. But we'll only know, we'll know that the only growth that's happening is what we see on the top of the soil. And there's a name for this. There's a name for uh, when something grows only on the surface and above, and it doesn't grow below the surface. And this word is a word that a lot of us have heard before and know fairly well. The word is superficial. And ultimately, what Jesus is talking about with the soil that is rocky is this. He is talking about a superficial faith. He's saying this soil produces a faith that only really can be on the surface or above. It is only the things that you see, and it doesn't go deeper than that because it can't. Why? Because it doesn't have the roots to sustain it. This is ultimately what Jesus is cautioning us from in this, par in this part of the parable. He's cautioning us from a superficial faith. Where does it come from? It comes from shallow soil. What does it look like? It's impressive. It's uh, surprising. It's powerful. It's quick. It's immediate oftentimes. Why is it not enough? And where does it lead to in the end is what he also shows us. Where does superficial faith come from? It comes from this. God is a way to make my life better than it was before. This seems to be the way that it starts. This, I receive a gift and, it's, and I'm filled with joy, is the attitude of a person who says, I found something that's going to make my life better. And that's where the superficial faith begins. What does it look like? There's a lot of things about it that kind of stand out, that kind of jump out. One of those is he seems to kind of be indicating that it's, it's often a very emotional faith. Now, I say this as a person who, if you know me well personally, you know I'm a very emotional person. And so I don't say this like I think uh, any kind of a knock on people who are particularly emotional. This isn't about people who themselves are emotional or somehow people who are not emotional are better uh, than those who are. This is about a faith that is only able to be emotional. It only knows to respond immediately to the things that are happening right now in an emotional way. You have this intense experience, this heightened, sometimes almost like euphoric period where God is just everything. This can make for a great testimony. This can be easy to envy. But the question, of course, is what happens when that emotional high wears off? What happens when something else comes along? We tend to place a very high value currently in our society on passion. 
on our passion. What makes us passionate? How do we respond to things with passion? What are the things that lead us to be like that and stoke the fire of that in our hearts the most? Because these are the things to run towards. These are the things to move to. Um, These are the things that we need. These are the things that will sustain us because having passion is the most important thing in life. I remember as a youth pastor talking to youth uh, who would give testimonies to youth group and, um, and always talking to the students who uh, kind of felt bummed out because they didn't have um, as powerful, as dramatic, as crazy of a testimony as some others. They said, mine's boring or mine doesn't have any of that big, crazy, difficult stuff. They say that because we kind of, we see that, right? We often see this happen, and, and, um, and, and in a lot of ways, I myself experience that crazy, intense testimony. Superficial faith can be largely emotional and very uh, sort of powerful to see on the surface. Uh, it's impressive on the surface. When all the energy of the plant is going into what comes up, In the early stages, that plant grows faster, and it seems to grow bigger, and it seems to look pretty incredible. It sort of outpaces the other ones that are developing roots. It gives all the indications that it's in a healthy place, and yet it's really not very healthy at all, says Jesus. Now, we would like to think that superficiality doesn't matter to us, that we're all very deep, and that we're all much deeper than other people. Um, uh, But what's so tricky about this is it does just look so good on the surface. And we really struggle to know how to care about more than just what we see in one another or what people will see in ourselves. It's impressive on the surface. And it's about actions and it's about doing. And it may be less about being. One of the things that we've talked about the last few weeks. This kind of faith, it's really heavy on outward actions, outward expressions, and ones that are dramatic. Little attention is often given to what's going on inside, and little energy is spent on growing roots, which will sustain us over the course of our lives, over the long haul. But this kind of faith isn't enough. Jesus says there's no root, and the result of it is it's only going to last so long. Everything sounds good up until these words here. They last only a short time. This is where it starts to get hard. This is where we say, maybe I wouldn't want to be this shallow soil. He explains what he means by that in the next part of this verse. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Those who are like this soil quickly fall away when things get hard. The other thing we see about this is that it's short-lived. It's a short-lived faith and experience. Why? Because trouble and persecution, says Jesus, will kill it. The most important thing to know about the rocky soil is where it leads in the end. It has a short lifespan because that's why Jesus tells us about it. Because there's no roots, eventually the sun will come up on a particularly hot day, and because there's no roots, this plant won't last very long. When trouble comes, the plant withers and it dies. Jesus says outright what that trouble looks like. He says it's uh, persecution because of the word, the difficulty that this faith now brings into a person's life. Eventually, following Jesus will lead to difficulty in life. It will. Things will get harder eventually. What did that look like, right? Well, for some, it was quite simply self-denial. Jesus says, you have to 
die to yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Meaning, the goal, the ambition, the direction you had for your life before I came along needs to not be the goal, the ambition, and the direction anymore. It needs to be my goal for you, my ambition for you, my direction for you. And if you don't do that at some point, then your faith will only ever grow so deep. When Jesus says, follow me, that means he's going somewhere probably different than you were going to go before. But for many of us, we would so desperately love to believe that following Jesus means I can keep living, I can keep going exactly where I was going before, I just maybe have to be a nicer person, right? Follow more rules, uh, read more of the Bible, and then I'll be fine, right? But what Jesus actually says is he makes it very clear that, like, the trajectory of our life is going to change, It will change because of how invested we are in the other things of our lives. It will change because of um, what our heart begins to look like as we grow in this faith. For some people um, who opposed um, this thing, it was offensive to their own beliefs. And that made life hard for people who didn't oppose it. You found yourself around people who are starting to feel like enemies because of how they feel about the thing that you believe. Or they're starting to, you're starting to feel like the only way that I might know to get along with others is to, or to not be at odds with them is to be quiet and keep internal this thing I believe as much as humanly possible. But I think for many, it was simply the trouble that comes when things just don't keep going your way. Hey God, what is the deal? with how things are going right now in my life. God, why are things so hard now? I thought when I got to know you, when I met you, you were the one that makes things easy. You were the one that gave me a gift. You solved my problem. You showed up when I was suffering and when I was in need. You fixed things, and that's why I was so pumped in the beginning. Why aren't you fixing this? Why aren't you changing this? Why is my life getting hard now? That wasn't what I signed up for. With no roots, what happens is something that ultimately actually is good can become bad. Isn't the sun a good thing if you're a plant? If you don't know much about plants, you probably know that. The sun is good. It gives life. It brings life. And yet, when there are no roots, that which actually brings life is going to be too intense. It's going to scorch this plant, is what he says in the first, the first time that he gives this parable out before he explains it. What does that mean, right? Well, the sun is the normal daily life circumstances of that plant. The sun's going to come up, and it's going to give it energy, and it's going to give it life. And because it has roots and it can hold moisture and water, then it's going to get through that, and it's going to grow stronger, and it's going to get bigger. The incredible thing about faith that is rooted and established, it is, it, it is resilient enough to actually grow and thrive in the midst of hard things. This is why the Bible tells us this crazy thing. We are to have joy in trials. That we can have power when we are experiencing weakness. Why in the world would these things be true? Because uh, with a true faith that is rooted, then the things that make life hard can actually uh, make life better. How is that? Because they grow us more to be like Christ. They make us people who are more mature in the faith. They bring us closer to God himself and make us dependent on him. They force us even to let go of some of the things in this life that there is no way we would ever choose to let go of that are not as good as God himself. The Bible tells us something crazy, which is that difficulty actually grows us. 
But many people, it does not. Why? Because there are no roots. Because it's a very shallow thing. In that case, when the difficulty comes, what does it do? It withers away, and it says, I am not equipped for this. Or simply, I did not sign up for this. I signed up to keep getting Crocs, and that's all I really was ready for. If you just walked in and there's no context there, you're going to need to go back and listen. You see, the other thing about this that's so evident is that, um, is that a plant that does not have roots, that is superficial, a faith that is superficial is going to be so dependent on the conditions of life to dictate how it is going. As James talks about, it's going to be blown and pushed back and forth um, like a wave in the ocean. That, as, uh, that good weather is going to affect it one way, but bad weather or hard weather or different weather is going to affect it in such a harsh way that it won't be able to survive. This is what a superficial faith looks like. Our circumstances of our life determine everything about the way that we feel towards God. So what does it look like then to go, um, to go beyond something like this? What does it look like to have a heart that is not the rocky soil? I think is one of the questions we've also been asking as we're looking through these each week. Not only what are these things about, but what does it look like to not be this kind of soil? What does it look like to not have this happen? And one of the things that I mentioned last week was that um, when it comes to shaping soil, when it comes to developing soil, there is actually no better way that we can do this than in the lives of young people. One of the things that I think is so true is that um, we are shaped and formed as we grow, and our hearts themselves are shaped and formed as we grow. And, um, and as we grow up, especially when we're younger, um, it is those speaking into our lives, caring about us and investing in us, who have the greatest effect on the soil of our heart and the conditions at which it grows. And so for each and every one of these soils, I think there are ways that we can, with young people in our lives, whether it's our children or our grandchildren or the kids that we volunteer and lead in Sunday school at church or the kids in the youth group where we volunteer or the kids even living in our own neighborhoods that we're working to develop relationships with through our families or our nieces or our nephews or whoever, that as these uh, young people feel seen and understood and cared for by us, it is the way that we speak into their lives that actually impacts the kind of soil that develops. One of the things that I was so grateful for as sort of a realization early on as a parent was, uh, you know, kids start out a bit uh, like a bit of a mystery because they don't tell you everything that's going on. They don't have the ability to do that. They can't tell you what they're thinking. They can't tell you any of that stuff. Now, as kids start to get older, they get better at being able to articulate and use words and tell us about these things. And I remember feeling at a point as a parent, as my kids were starting to be able to do this, that I just was, I was, for a person who likes to talk and impart information and who was headed down the road very easily and naturally of my job as a parent or as an influencer of a young person, my job is to... Uh, is to give and to tell, to explain and to speak to, to answer to, and to all of those things. That's my job. It is a one-way thing, right? What else would it be? 
And at one point, God gets a hold of me and he impresses upon me the importance of a relationship with a young person being kind of a 50-50 thing. That basically, I'm going to give like 50% where I'm trying to impart things. But there's also going to have to be 50% of that relationship where I'm asking and I'm seeking to understand which is going to be the hardest part of it for me. You see, the truth is, one of the things that we struggle with in any relationship is that, is that we um, really have to put time and effort into actually understanding one another, understanding where people come from, drawing people out, asking them questions, understanding their heart. The more that we do that, the more that we're able to speak to one another. But to just talk and give information and say things without actually um, seeking the other side usually has very little impact or very limited impact for sure. There are so many things that we encourage and validate in the lives of young people in our care. And one of the questions is, what are the things that we're encouraging and validating? Are they things that send the message, what happens on the outside is most important? The way other people feel about you is most important. Even maybe the things that you're really good at that I want you to be proud of, good. Let's, get, let's, get, let's, let's talk about and focus on those things. Maybe what makes you stand out. Maybe what makes you unique because I want you to feel proud of yourself. But it's possible to do that to such a degree that uh, it begins to be by far the most important thing that a person sees in themselves and in their lives. What I know for sure is this. What matters is what people see. What matters is what I do, not so much what's going on in here, not so much the roots that are being formed. In fact, it's even very easy as a, as a Christian to encourage others, especially young people, in behavior and obedience and outward appearance rather than to actually encourage in the area of developing roots in your heart and in your life that run much deeper than what other people can see. That's a lot harder to do, right? But it leads to something that lasts longer, that it runs far deeper, that can weather the storms of life. I think the question of what does it look like um, for ourselves um, to go beyond something that is superficial, or what does it look like for us to um, not allow ourselves to kind of even slip into a place where our faith becomes that, where we rest on the, the, the comfort or the, the time that we follow Jesus, and so we, we begin to find ourselves caring more about how people see us, the things that we do on the outside, or maybe we grow weary of a sincere faith with God, and so instead choose one that is merely emotional, where God is just there to fix our problems. God is there to help our, our ailments. God is there to, to answer the prayer requests that our friends and us have that accumulate over time. I think the key to this is what we find all the way back in the beginning of it, which is the receiving as a gift versus maybe something else that Jesus intended. Because what if when Jesus came, his goal wasn't for people to go around seeing him as a giver of good gifts that they could take in that would just make their life better? What if he was calling them to something very different from that? We read about this in an interaction between Jesus and a man who needs to be healed in Luke chapter 5. We read this. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, 
They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. This is a pretty incredible story. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Can you even imagine this? Like Jesus is doing his thing and they're like, listen, okay, the only way that we can get him to see this guy is if we just drop him down right in front of him. So here we go. And that's what they did. I hope they didn't just let him fall. I don't know how high the roof was. I don't think they were very high back then. Uh, Hopefully they used some ropes. But nevertheless, Jesus is doing his thing and all of a sudden, boom, here comes somebody. When Jesus saw their faith, which was great, He said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Now imagine for a moment that you were those guys and that you were that man. Because we know that he was speaking not just to them, but to the man who needed to be healed. He was was responding to this great act of faith By not only telling them your sins are forgiven, but by telling this man, good news, you did it. He got to me, and now I'm going to do my thing. Are you ready? Here I go. Your sins are forgiven. Now, if I'm a paralyzed man, all I'm thinking about is one thing. If I could just walk, then I would actually be whole and complete. I could actually be happy like everybody else seems to be. Why did they bring him? Because he was the one who was paralyzed and couldn't walk. Jesus, if only I could have the ability to be whole again physically, I would have everything that I need. Jesus' response to that, it seems, is no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You can be healed physically, and eventually Jesus gets to that. I can give you the answer to the problem you're facing. I can fix this thing for you, but it isn't going to make you whole. What you desperately need more than that, so much more than that, is you need to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven from me and from God. You need forgiveness of your sins, whether you realize it or not. And having that forgiveness is what actually changes everything. You see, there's a difference between wanting Jesus because he can come into my kingdom and my life and make it better and saying, I am ready to come into his kingdom and I am ready to come into his life because that's what ultimately makes it better. There is such a huge difference between those two things and it is so easy to miss that, is it not? Because God does miraculously do things. He does show up and he does help us because he loves us and we're his children and he does that for us so often. But the root of a superficial faith, the root of it is that it is a faith that is not based in repentance. The only real way to respond to Jesus authentically, the only truly right way to respond to Jesus is not even to say, thank you so much for giving me this. I'm so happy now and I want to tell everyone that you give us good things. It is not to say, I'm so happy and now I'm going to be different because I'm happy for what you did. It is actually being able to say, I recognize 
that what I need is to be forgiven because I'm broken. I need a Lord of my life. I need something completely different than this life I'm trying to live. I need to be a part of your kingdom from this point on forever. That is the only right response. And it is one of the hardest things to not only do when we hear the gospel the first time, but to keep doing day after day, week after week, year after year, is it not? To continue coming before God, like we said last week, with an open heart and saying to him, God, will you forgive me? Not will you give me more. Not will you fix the things that are happening first and foremost. Although he tells us throughout scripture again and again, yes, come to me with those things. Yell and scream and beg and plead and say everything in your heart to me that is there. But the most important thing that you can do is come to me and say, would you forgive me? And to repent. This is how we avoid a superficial faith. And this is not necessarily an easy thing to do. We talked last week about the hard soil. We talked last week about receiving the seed. And the truth is that you might be here this morning or you might have been here then and you might never have responded to that message. That, that every time that you are here, every time that you hear something about God or about Jesus, that that seed is being sown and it is landing on your heart. And you may have a heart that up until now has been so hard that it has just sat there and the birds have come and they've eaten it and flown away, which is the circumstances of life and the enemy doing that. Or you may be someone who has a heart that has been open, but you recognize that it is so easy for your faith to become about the things that God can give you and the things that he can do for you and the enthusiasm that other people see and the way that you live and the way people appreciate and admire that thing. That it becomes about everything on the outside above the surface, that it's superficial. And you may have been following Jesus for a long time. But right here, right now, the most important thing that you can do is to repent and to receive his forgiveness. And so if you're here this morning and you have never done that, then the absolute most important thing that you can possibly do, the only thing next to do, is to ask God for his forgiveness and he will give it to you. To repent of your sins and to believe and trust that Jesus has paid the sacrifice for those things. That God does not expect you to atone for them or to do something impossible to make up for them. He only expects you to trust him enough to believe that you actually are made new now in him because of what he's done. And you can do that this morning, right here, right now. You can pray with me as I pray at the end of this message. You can come up front and you can kneel and you can talk to God yourself, just as I did when I became a believer and responded to this very parable so many years ago. Or you can talk to God where you are now. However it is, there is nothing more important than not leaving here this morning with a heart in a place that says, God, I repent before you. I long for you. I long to be a part of your kingdom, not for you to just come and make mine better. So let's pray.